do you use any of your uh, reenactment gear for like everyday uses? We're going to talk a little bit about that right here on the Renactors Corner podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? I am actually doing fantastic. What about you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's nice to talk to you again. We've got a special bonus here yet again today. Uh, we have a special guest who is uh, Ben Longfellow. How are you doing, Ben? Very good, very good. Good ben to be back. Ben is uh, now a frequent guest on the program. Good to talk to you again, Ben. So today, our topic is reenactment stuff that you can use outside of reenacting. Um, this is kind of going to be maybe a little bit controversial for some people who probably think that um, these items that you get for reenactment should really only be used for reenactment, and they might feel weird about using... World War II German reproduction stuff or World War II reproduction stuff in general outside of a reenactment context. But I think that, um, look, you buy this stuff, you have to own and maintain these items. Why not get more use out of them? Some of these items are very useful and practical for different other types of recreation activities that people can do. So, you know, why not make the most of that? That's, that's my attitude. Sure. And I mean, you probably... In the case of some items, spent a decent amount of money on them. So, there, in many, for yeah. many reenactors, the uniform and gear stuff is probably the most expensive clothing and accessories that they own. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, why not get try to get all the use that you can out of this stuff? You know, most of these goods are pretty durable. You're not going to necessarily wear them out through casual use outside of reenactments. So you know, why not? That's that's my take. First, let's say like. Just before we even get too far into this thing, I'm not talking about wearing Nazi era regalia um, if Good you go point. to the supermarket, Good right? Point. Like, let's just like throw this right out there. We're, we could just forget about anything that has like Nazi insignia on it for like an everyday wear thing. You know, um, maybe if your job is to um, count moose, you know, in the in, at the North Pole all by yourself. Maybe it doesn't matter, but for your average person, like wearing stuff with Nazi insignia on it is going to create problems for you. Somewhat probably. deleterious for your sort of social standing. <laughs> yeah, and like I know that like some people have like done this in the past and like gotten away with it, where they dressed up in their uniform for some specific thing. Um, but other people have done it before and gotten in trouble for it. You right, know, like or gotten doxxed or. Uh, I would just encourage our listeners to just not do that. Yeah. You know, I'm the, and I'm not coming at that from, like, I'm not going to tell people what's right and wrong from, like, a moral sense. I'm not anybody's parents, but, like, um, you know, it's just really risky. So, it, it very at the very least, be aware that um, people see that kind of thing outside of a reenactment context. They are not, they're not going to like it. Good disclaimer. Solid disclaimer. I totally agree with that. Don't do it. It's stupid. Um, I would say maybe my favorite item is my entrenching tool, which I keep in my car. Um, sure. I never really would have thought that it would be important to keep a sh shovel in a car, but the entrenching tool, which is this little shovel that's in a pouch that you wear on your belt, it's like a handy size. It's a handy thing. It doesn't take up a lot of space in the car. And um, it's gotten me out of a few jams where my car got stuck and I was able to... Um, clear, chip away some ice or uh, chop up some branches or something to lay down underneath yeah. my wheels so that I can get out of a tight spot. And it's just that my entrenching tool lives in my car. Good point. Very good point. What about you, Ben? What's your favorite item that you use outside of reenactments? Probably uh, my packs, my tornister. Um, I've traveled with them. Um, I've 
basically, I find them to be very handy. Um, I've gone on trips to different states, even different countries, using a backpack from World War II, and they're surprisingly functional. You can strap stuff to the outside. Even a tornister, I've heard people sort of disparage them as not being usable for traveling. I find the opposite to be true. I found them to be extremely useful for traveling. And not only do you associate these things with memories that you have at events, but you associate these things with memories that you have of trips that you've taken. And they pick up, you know, wear on the way. And uh, so I enjoy that. I think the wear that you can put on a piece of gear like that, using it outside of reenactments, help makes it look more real, too. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, a lot of these things in the reality of World War II were in use day in and day out. And, um, you know, in if you only use it at reenactments, it's going to take you years to get the kind of wear that something might have after just a few weeks. But if you use it outside of reenactments, if you use it on weekend hikes and day trips and stuff, then it gets that realistic level of wear sure. much more quickly. Sure. The other thing, too, and I know Chris and I both take advantage of this, but... Um, we have some items which aren't suitable for our impression, per se, but are intrinsically cool, um, such as camouflage smocks, not, typic not typically issued to the sort of unit that we normally portray, but they're, they're waterproof, they're wind, they're, they're wind or not waterproof, but water-resistant, windproof, um, and uh, just decent hiking garments, you know, if although you may attract some funny looks if you wear them on a particularly populated trail. Well, I, I think there's times where camouflage in general is like a helpful thing yeah. for out, certain types of outdoor activities that people might do. And, you know, World War II camouflage is can be effective. It can be cool. Maybe it's more expensive than a surplus garment from an Army-Navy store, but maybe not. I remember a time in... Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to go see some friends of mine who were going to a uh, university out in sort of a remote part of the state, and we wanted to go hiking, but um, it was it was extremely cold. It was one of the coldest uh, winters in recent years, and I was able to equip my non-reenactive friends with random bits of cold weather gear that I had in my car, and uh, we probably would have been they, they would have been much more miserable had they not had they not worn those so <laughs> my uh my reenactment gear is probably the warmest cold weather gear that i have yeah i have this equipment that's supposed to help me to operate in you know super sub-zero temperatures right on in uh, northern russia yeah the area where i live is probably is definitely much more temperate than yep. that but i necess i still have this gear yeah and so when it does get really cold here happens to be really cold here today kind of unseasonably cold um you know i've got this gear that i can wear lots yeah. do you i know it gets really cold where you live do you use uh world war ii stuff in the winter to stay warm at all no, German World War II winter stuff is shit, so I can't wear it. It's too cold. Um, yeah, you're you're living in a different climate thing. It's possible that the that the German World War II stuff that was designed for like forty degrees below zero um, actually is really good for like I don't know like minus 10 Celsius or something, right? Like some some warmer level of cold that it might get where I live. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. The uh, the German parka stuff uh, with the gloves and uh, a regular uniform underneath and the winter boots are good for like minus 10, minus 15, but anything below that, it starts to get too cold even with that. Then you start, then you will need like uh, proper undergarments and uh, some better footwear and stuff like that. So I use proper uh, cold weather clothing when I go out when it's cold. Chris and I also reenact Soviets, and uh, I've found that some of the Soviet stuff, the, uh, personally, I believe that the Soviets' padded jackets, the Telgreka, is warmer than its German counterpart, um, the Wintertonanzug. Uh, um, yeah, I think that Soviet padded jacket is a really nice warm jacket, and, uh, I do tend to wear that jacket quite a bit outside of reenactments. Actually, I have one that I wear for reenactment, and then I have two of them that I wear 
that I got just to wear for outside reenactment because they're comfortable, warm, like work jackets. I don't know if this is uh how. Chris, did you have some story where you encountered a Russian person at work or something and he recognized the jacket? I Well, there was a guy at a store that sold uh, Eastern European food. And uh, he was totally stunned to see this jacket that he recognized from the former Soviet Union, uh, which was cool. That's a, that's a cool story, dude. He liked it. You know, I've it, an interesting fact about a lot of World War II type stuff that you can wear is that most people... The overwhelming vast majority of people are, aren't going to see you and recognize that something that you're using or wearing is from World War II. Sure. And those that do recognize the historical origin of this stuff, more often than not, I find they, they're like enthusiasts who think it's cool. Sure, if not reenactors. I right. Mean, you if you might, might meet other reenactors doing it. I remember um, it had been raining and I was wearing a uh, <clears throat> German uh, Zeltbahn uh, shelter quarter on a trail. And a man stopped me. He's like, is that a Zeltbahn? And I'm like, yes, it is. And he identified himself as a War of 1812 reenactor. But he was, you know, familiar with World War II, and he recognized the, the poncho. So it's, a, it's, it's sort of a subtle way to meet other reenactors or enthusiasts in, in some contexts. Yeah. Lasso, what kind of, uh, do you use any of your reenactment stuff outside of reenactments? Very little. Um, I bought uh, black uh, panzer trousers for my civilian kit because it's baggy wool pants and it's black so it looks civilian. I use those, but I haven't bought those for reenactment, I guess. But uh, other than that, I do use the D-ring loops at work sometimes on my belt to hang stuff in it. I find them very good. And I sometimes occasionally use the equipment belt as well with a buckle I have that is um, that has no symbols on it. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, the, the belt is a handy thing. And out of that, I mean, I don't use any of my gear that I can think of um i mean i use my cameras but did i buy my kit for the cameras or the cameras for the kit i don't know <laughs> fair enough fair enough ben is actually wearing black wool panzer trousers right now because he is insane and dresses weird this is very true yeah <laughs> i have been wearing these um more or less every day um for the last um i don't know two months two and a half months Granted, I work from home, so I don't have to really interact with coworkers, and I do have the sense to put on, you know, jeans if I'm going to be going to some sort of normal place. But uh, about the house, they're you know damn fine trousers. But yes, as Chris is right, I'm insane. Yeah. Um, something that I have been wearing a lot lately is the two pocket green HBT uh, tunic which is just a very plain-looking jacket that's made out of a rugged HBT linen fabric. It doesn't have any insignia on it. And it just has, uh, you know, it buttons down the front, and it has two big pockets. And I think it is just a great garment to wear at work for the type of work that I do. Oftentimes, I have to go to, um, like, factories and work on machinery. I have to take stuff apart. And those big pockets are really useful for holding um, screws and nuts and bolts and stuff. And it's a rugged fabric that doesn't like stain easily. It's hard wearing. It's, uh, you know, and I think it looks, looks nice. And it's just a really good utilitarian practical work jacket for me. If I may, though, I mean, is the, is the drillish sort of not somewhat derivative of civilian workwear? I think it is. Yeah. And I think probably, actually, if I think about it, um, like the people, I, I had a friend who, when I was in high school, when he was a teenager, he worked at a supermarket and his job was to put the carriages back. You know, people would go shopping, they would put the yeah. items in the carriages, yeah, 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 go yeah. out to the car, put the stuff from the carriage in the car, and then they leave the carriage out there by the car. And his job was to go and round those up. Yeah. And they, they gave him, from his work, a jacket that was really very similar in some ways to the two-pocket HBT work jacket. It was blue, sure. and it just had two big pockets at the bottom and was just kind of a protective outer layer for his job at the supermarket. 
some some of our um our friend in California who sells vintage sort of workwear. I feel like some of the things that he has shared um look rather similar to uh the drillish, yeah. I think you know, it's I'm not an expert on this, but my gut feeling is is that uh factory workers and farmers in Europe wore stuff like that yeah. for decades and decades. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. the this German uh, two-pocket HBT jacket. It's not some special Nazi item that Hitler invented. It's, you know, <laughs> it's classic workwear that was worn for decades because it was practical and good, and it's still practical and good today. Um, That's cool. Another thing, another area where I have kind of explored different options as far as World War II stuff outside of a reenactment context is hats. Um, the reason for this is because I am a middle-aged, balding man. And I need to cover my head with something. But I don't really like baseball caps, which is what most American like people of the 21st century wear as a hat. I just, I, these hats do not appeal to me at all. So I have tried wearing uh, an M43 style wool German cap, which uh, is, provides great warmth in the wintertime. Definitely too warm for the summertime um, without any insignia on it. Also, um, like camouflage versions of these same caps made out of uh, like a, you know, a lightweight material, I have found to be very handy in the summertime. It's got a brim. It shades your eyes. I like the camouflage colors. I think they're cool. Um, people, most people probably aren't looking at it and thinking that it's something that's from the Nazi army, right? Um, and... I don't know, even today in, in Germany, you can buy caps like that from hat makers. They're for, um, I don't know, they call them forest caps or something. Cool. Or, you know, for people who live in the country or farmers or something wear similar hats. So it's, cool. um, it's just a classic kind of a hat. And I, I haven't necessarily found one that I really super love. Um, but I definitely like them better than baseball caps. I'll say that. Sure. sure. You know, I wouldn't wear a helmet. Helmet is pretty much a reenactment only thing. I, I might want to try to push that limit, but I feel like uh, I'd be uh, overruled here by saner people. <laughs> I kid. I just love. I just love collecting helmets. It's called fashion disaster, Ben. It's me. That's me, bud. <laughs> I like hiking. I like camping. I really like hiking. I like day hikes, and um, you know, I've mentioned on here before. I like to search for. Indian artifacts, which is like an outdoor activity, obviously, and um, the canteens, the various types of canteens that I use for World War II, German and Soviet. It's a handy way to carry water. The packs, like you mentioned, Ben, I get a lot of use out of those packs, the German and the Soviet packs I will use, depending on how much space I need or what exact kind of weather conditions I think I'm going to be faced with. Um, and like, even sometimes the bread bag. Yeah. I was going to say a bread bag and or uh, for Soviet, like a, their gas mask bag. It's a nice little sort of side bag that you can just sort of tuck things in. Um, bread bag you can strap stuff to if you want. It's, it's, it's useful. Um, the other thing, too, which, you know, I've tried at times, I know Chris has tried at times, are uh, putties. Now, granted, German soldiers in World War II, putties were rather uncommon, but Russian soldiers wore them, all manner of soldiers wore them in a variety of different contexts throughout the 20th century, and they're, they're a bit of a pain to put on and take off, but for actually moving around, they keep, st they keep your legs warm, they keep stuff out of your low boots, they offer ankle supports, and uh, I like them a lot. Yeah, those leg wraps are cool. Um... I like wool in general. Yeah. Um, I have a an M40 German tunic that doesn't have any insignia on it. I have this kind of for reenacting. If I wanted to do a Volkssturm impression someday, I might wear this tunic. But I also do wear it sometimes on cold days late in the autumn. Uh, if I'm going to be outside looking for arrowheads or something by myself, it's just a, a handy jacket the wool is warm the four pockets on the front are practical for uh, keeping stuff in if especially if i'm lucky enough to find yep. some arrowheads yep. um you know i like i like the fit of it i like the cut of it and in fact um 
many, many times when I'm wearing it or other times years ago when I used to have other stripped uh, World War II German wool tunics that I used to wear, I'd have people compliment me on it and ask me where I got it, like strangers. You know, oh, that, or you, like the backpacks too, like the fur tornister. I've gotten a lot of compliments on that tornister. Wow, that's a really cool backpack. Where did you get it? I had somebody ask to pet mine at one point. Okay, that's um, weird. <laughs> um, well, he seemed kind of weird, but... But like... Uh, it's interesting because if you look at people who are interested in bushcraft, um, like I follow some Instagram accounts of people who do just general outdoors stuff, and they will post canvas and leather rucksacks that they have recently got or that are available for sale. And they oftentimes have a vague similarity to World War II backpacks, sure. at least in the sense that this is a vintage style leather and canvas rucksack. Um, and they're like super expensive. Sure. You know, they're more expensive than the Chinese or Asian made reproduction World War II rucksacks that you can get in there. I don't think they're any more stylish. I don't think they're any more functional, generally speaking. For the longest time, I carried around an uh, at the front reproduction Gebirgsjäger rucksack. And it started, it started to deteriorate um, toward the end, but it. The volume on it was tremendous, and now Chris and I both have these. Are the those uh, Luftwaffe supplies um, Luftwaffe rucksacks, which are lovely. Um, yeah, I really like my Luftwaffe supplies Luftwaffe rucksack. Yeah, and not really no no application to our impression, but it's just a cool thing to have. Well, Lassa, you and Ben did that hike in uh, Svalbard that we've talked about here on the program before, and that kind of blurs the lines of what is and isn't a reenactment. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the kit that I was wearing, was it 100% authentic for a civilian of the period? Probably not. I mean, I was wearing... I think I was wearing field gray reenactment trousers, but in theory, those things could have been used as surplus after the war. So, yeah, um, a lot of the things I was wearing were reenactment items that had been repurposed uh, for civilian. But those items, in turn, were sort of inspired or patterned off of civilian things. Lassa, do you have contact there in Europe with people who do, like, vintage hiking or camping or vintage outdoor stuff that's not really World War II reenactment? Not really. Uh, I like to do it because I like camping and I like old stuff, too. Um, so that's why I did a Svalbard trip. I, I wouldn't look at it as reenactment, more as a other form of camping, really. Are you going to do that again? I wouldn't say no to it. That sounds really fun. Um, I think what you said there where I like camping and I like old stuff is so... Uh, I think there's a lot of meaning in those words because that really resonates with me a lot and is a lot of why I use the World War II stuff that I use um, when I'm camping. It's not really so much that it's specific to World War II, but it's just old style stuff. And, yeah. you know, it, it just... I'm a World War II reenactor, so I have a lot of World War II reproduction stuff that I can use but from a camping perspective it could be a World War One thing it could be from the Civil War or from the 17th century sure uh, and I would enjoy using it more than I would enjoy using some modern plastic uh, synthetic material thing do you remember a time Chris when we both climbed that mountain like a couple summers back and you were wearing jeans and I was wearing wool pants and uh, even though it was hot in the summer I think you actually had a worse time of it because the jeans they were you know they're you know closer to the skin yeah. don't 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 you know get soaked with sweat it's not quite as baggy um, there's a practicality to the old stuff I think about that all the time I think about that day because um, your baggy trousers were so much more practical and functional and you were yeah. more comfortable on that hike than I was in my black jeans in the summertime. And then, and and then um, there was basically a time where we had to slide down some parts of this mountain, and I th I think your pants got torn up, right? Well, but they were the, probably uh, already yeah. torn up, but you yeah, know, fair, that's fair, maybe, fair. maybe different yeah. than. But the wool pants, they they wore like iron. So yeah, no, I think there's something that they, they were onto something back then. 
And even from a camping perspective, I really like to use my Zalpon tent. Sure. Like Zalpon tent. Sure. Uh, and the individual Zalpon shelter quarters. I have brought those things to the beach. I have, you know, set those up all over the place, even um, just to give me shade for a little while or if I'm stopping sometimes for lunch, if I'm doing a real big day in the summertime where I'm going to be out all day. Um, I think that that is, uh, you know, obviously on some level, a modern ultralight tent is probably going to be more practical, but I really like the canvas um, tents. It's kind of the spirit of it, you know? I like to read um, stories and, and kind of novels sometimes about people in the wilderness in the past. Yeah. And just to read about camping trips in the north, you know, many years ago or something. And those guys have canvas tents yeah. and leather gear. And the s- stories talk about that. There's something romantic about it in a sense, right? There's something that's just there that really appeals to me. I remember when I was a kid, um, my grandfather would sort of read me stories um, that were written in sort of the early half of the 20th century, often about, you know, outdoor adventure. And the people in the stories were all, you know, they were using the equipment of the day, which is, you know, leather and canvas and uh, whatnot. And so from a very young age, I thought that's what camping was. And then I was maybe a little disappointed when I grew older and found out that a lot of modern camping is done with, you know, synthetics and whatnot. Now, don't get me wrong, um, if I was actually doing a camping trip and wanted to stay warm, I'd rather have something, you know, modern and synthetic, but there's something nice uh, to the, uh, you know, the feel of leather and canvas and whatnot, and uh, yeah, like Chris was saying, you know, there's some some World War II reenactment gear that's totally impractical outside of a reenactment context. One hundred percent. Not just the insignia stuff that we alluded to before, but um, like hobnail I mean, boots are. Forget about it. They're really tough <laughs> to be make them your everyday boots. I mean, you can try, and it makes a bold statement when you're tromping around with uh, metal on the bottom of your feet that's making a loud sound. And then you walk into a supermarket. And then you fall down. <laughs> you know, there's no traction there um, on like a linoleum floor. It's it's like skating on ice. I heard I heard someone tell a joke um, a while back that World War II could have been prevented if the nation of Poland had lined their border with a strip of linoleum. <laughs> That's a terrible joke, but it did yeah, get yeah. a genuine laugh out of me. Yeah. Yeah, we say that if um, the Norwegian army uh, just put on, like, tiles on the floor then or on the ground, then uh, Germany wouldn't have innovated us. <laughs> That's so funny, yeah. Oh, no, but there's... another piece of uh, reenactment gear that is useless both in reenactment and probably most of World War II and today is the bayonet. Mm. Mm. Well, do you think the bayonet is something that you can use uh, outside of a reenactment context? I don't think the bayonet is even usable during the actual World War II. Sure, I agree with you. It was totally useless in World War II. The only time I feel like I've used my bayonet is for something that's staged, you know? Like, I'm pretending to be guarding something, um, and so I will throw it on the end of the rifle, but you can't cut with that thing. Well, it's, you're not supposed to sharpen it. Yeah. It's not yeah. meant for cutting. Yeah. It's meant for stabbing. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can't cut a piece of sausage with that. Thing. No, you can't. It, you're far better off with uh, it's useless a as a knife. It's totally know? useless as a knife. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I agree. I think, you know, the... It was like almost a symbolic thing, practically, for people to carry it in World War II. If it were longer, you could almost use it as like a machete. I know like some of the American and Japanese bayonets in the war were longer, and in the jungles of the Pacific, I've heard stories about them being used as machetes, but it's too short to use for that. I think it's pretty common to see original bayonets where on the, the back of the handle like the edge of the handle, it has marks from someone using that thing as like a hammer to yeah. pound on something. Yeah. That yeah. is almost the most useful that thing can be is as a little hammer. Sure. You know, things that you might spend a lot of money on in your kit, like your boots might be some of the most expensive items 
that oh, totally and they might not be usable outside of reenactment you know yeah. or maybe if you went on certain types of hikes you could wear hobnail boots but uh or like that you might spend a lot of money on your helmet for reenacting and that's like you know that's what i spend all my money on that's and, <laughs> and you, where are you going to wear that you cannot wear that so you cannot wear that um man can dream though i can't but like a great coat, I find a great coat to be a very usable thing. Um, granted, the style of the World War II German field gray overcoat might be a little bit more evocative of World War II and the Nazis than is appropriate for all situations. So that's something that needs to be taken into account. Um, but then again, on the other hand, sometimes in uh, very cold weather, I will wear the Soviet sheepskin yeah. uh, overcoat which is though definitely the warmest coat that I have. It is super warm, um, and it's a very handy thing. But I had some time, one time somebody uh, was passing by on the street made a comment about uh, the Third Reich, you know, in connection to my Soviet coat. So, so on some level, it's almost like any World War II evocative thing, you know, to the general eye as spectator might connect it to you know, Nazis. Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism, yeah, 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 which is not necessarily in all settings, you know, appropriate or the uh, image that I'm trying to project here. And Lhasa, where you live, uh, you know, you're at, you're, I mean, real uh, Nazi soldiers were tromping around up there. So that must kind of go extra for you, right? There's people that you would encounter who might recognize World War II stuff from their childhood. Yeah. Uh, also, that the Norwegian army used World War II German stuff. Well, they still use it, but uh, after the war, for a couple of decades, they would use a lot of it. Uh, so even people who were born uh, immediately after the Second World War usually did have a lot of German kit when they serviced, uh, when they did their conscription. Um, so it is easily recognizable for uh, a lot of people. Um, and... I mean, I've been touching on this topic before that it's the um, it seems like it's the generation after the war that seems to be uh, against reenactment, while the people who actually experienced the war are for it. So it has us the it gives us the weird uh, moments where some old guy is really angry that we reenact German, but people who actually uh, lived under German occupation thanks us for uh, not letting the part of history go. That's interesting. That's really, that's, that's, that there's some meaning in that. You know, I use my, uh, my mess kit a lot. I think it's a really handy thing. It's this aluminum pot with a lid. It's super handy for camping because um, you can use the lid as sort of a frying pan. You can use the, the pot thing to cook in or as a bowl to eat out of. Or, like, you can pack a lunch in that thing. Um, I sometimes will even take mine to work lately. Now I'm trying to eat healthier. So instead of eating cheeseburgers for all my meals, I'm trying to eat some salads. So I can throw a salad in a mess kit and bring it to work and eat it there. It's not a bad um, idea. It's not a bad idea. You know, it's... Uh, not as practical as like Tupperware because you can't put it in the microwave, but um, I don't know. It, it serves the purpose. Sure. And time. you can't cook, you know, depending on the situation, right? You can't cook over a fire with a piece of plastic Tupperware, but you can certainly do that with an aluminum mess kit. So sure. I always take that. Sometimes I've even uh, taken it or like my uh, folding utensils, the folding fork and spoon eating utensil set that was the common issue set that world war ii german soldiers used i'll take that with me when i travel sure and it just st- tucks into a pocket and then you always have a fork and a spoon in case there's something to eat sometimes too there's uh post-war things which aren't uh they would be considered far for reenacting but they're sort of useful in a uh in a camping sense so Something that I use in a similar vein to Chris is one of those post-war West German mess tins, which is, if I saw one in a reenactment, I would be critical of, you know, whoever wore it and recommend that they get, you know, a, like, preferably an Austrian one, which is the, what we tend to recommend, a Romanian, R- Romanian one, which are pretty much dead on. But for camping, like, uh, for a little hike, it's great. Um, and there's some other items, too, which... I would regard as far for reenacting, but are 
are cool for uh, you know for uh, camping or what have you. I use my Esbit stove for reenacting, and I also use it for camping and hikes. Um, it's just such a handy little. This is like a little solid fuel stove that folds up, and it has these fuel pellets that fit inside of it, and uh, I just think it's such a neat thing. Yeah. You know, it's so handy to me. You just light this little cube on fire, <laughs> and the the stove unfolds and is a support for your pot, and a mess kit or a canteen cup will sure. fit on there perfectly. Sure. And, um, at reenactment, obviously, you're limited to the types of food that might have been around in World War II. But for camping, you can cook dehydrated meals. You can cook ramen noodles. Mac can, and cheese. Yeah, absolutely. You could make spaghetti yeah. and meatballs. You could make whatever you want yeah, with that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's definitely cool. One of the things that is kind of not great about reenacting is that it does take up a lot of my outdoor time so i don't get to go camping as much as i would kind of like to sure and i think sometimes to myself that if i didn't do reenacting i probably would go camping a lot more sure you know but uh reenactment keeps me busy at least once a month usually uh one weekend a month in the in the nicer weather yeah uh, so yeah. it doesn't yeah. leave that yeah. much yeah. that much time for other kinds of uh camping but i just you know, I've said this before. I just love outdoor stuff. I love being outside, and that's part of what, why I like reenacting so much. And um, I like outdoor gear. I like vintage outdoor gear a lot. Sure. And um, so, uh, yeah, I'll definitely buy from time to time um, World War II reproduction stuff that I have no intention at all to use for reenacting, and I just want to use it for for my hikes or whatever kind of outdoor thing I'm doing. This kind of cycles back to an earlier point, but um, I'll have to, I find myself using the term vintage hiking um, to describe some of my you know particular hiking kits, but I feel like it's almost a misnomer um, because that almost implies that I'm going for some sort of specific impression, like uh, you know I'm wearing clothes from a specific period when really I'm wearing you know a mix of like, I'm wearing sort of a hodgepodge of reenacting gear in a non-reenacting context. And, uh, like I said, a lot of it is sort of civ civilian derivative, or, uh, so it's in vogue for the time. But it's not specifically a, an impression. And, uh, I think, how did he say, just, I like vintage civilians vintage outdoor gear and yeah. uh yeah i disagree with this if you call it vintage hiking it means you hike in vintage uh, gear and vintage gear is a very loose term you don't call it reenactment or living history so you're not aiming for an impression it's the same that lots of commercial stuff is branded as vintage because it it looks old that's a that's a valid point I used to call it weird stuff in the woods. And the reason for that was because we had a guy who joined my old reenactment group and he showed me some gear that he had and he wanted to know if he could use it. And he showed me an M36 overcoat that he had bought. And I told him kind of sadly, well, you know, I'm sorry that you bought this early model overcoat because we do an impression of a unit that was refit in 1943 and we don't use the early model overcoat. And uh, I was afraid he was going to be upset about that, but he wasn't upset about it at all. He said, that's fine. I didn't really actually buy that intending to use it for reenacting. I bought it intending to use it for weird stuff in the woods. It's and really I was funny. like, wow, weird stuff in the woods. Yes, exactly. I also do that. That is cool. That's really funny. Anoraks are really cool. Um, I have a sort of a replica Gebirgsjäger anorak, and I think Lasse has one too. I, I wore this one on my on our on our hike in Svalbard, and I love it. It's got tons of pockets on it. Um, it's windproof. Um, it's got a lot of it's it's got a nice uh, patina to it now, um, and uh, also a lot of good memories too. Patinized. Patinized. Yes. Yeah. General patent. <laughs> Lasse, do you also have a reproduction Gebirgsjäger anorak? No, I have a, um, I have actually two now, a Swedish World War II anoraks, which are, they were used after the war as well, and I use them for um, vintage hiking. That's cool, dude. That's cool. That's highly cool. 
It's a, is it an original World War II uh, anorak? Yeah, I have one that is original and one that is uh, post-war from God knows when, and they are identical. That's, That's really cool. That's wild. I'll have to look up and see what those look like. I bet they're really cool items. They're white. They have a big hood. They have uh, three buttons up at the uh, up at the um, uh, neck throat, um, and they have two big pockets on the bottom, and a drawstring along the waist, and that's it. I have some like World War II German camouflage that I bought, not intending to use for reenactment, just because I thought it was cool camouflage. I like the colors. Um, there are certain activities where, you know, I think uh, camouflage kind of helps me blend in in the woods. And I think that's a, a good thing for me sometimes. And uh, what's cool about not having that stuff for reenactment is that I can modify it however I want. So I can put pockets on it or make changes that, you know, I don't necessarily have to look to World War II for examples of how I'm supposed to modify something or make it look. I can modify it to suit my needs and um, some of those garments are are some of the favorite my favorite things to wear you know certain times a year um it's really useful stuff you can also sort of take things which would be hook for reenactment um and wear those um like i know you had uh, one of those uh caps right in ss camouflage which would yep. be far for reenacting but sure. the thing that thing was a really cool looking hat you know yeah ben ben gave me a uh a smock that was in the SS style, but in the army splinter pattern. So not correct for World War II, but I modified that and uh, put a big pocket on the front and put a collar on it. And I love it, you know, so um, it's kind of evocative of World War II and of my World War II gear, but it's not really a replica World War II item. It's kind of my own. I kind of made it my own thing and, uh, you know, I enjoy it. It's cool. Yeah, it's, some of this stuff comes from just handling World War II gear or buying stuff for reenactment and thinking, you know, this this is cool for reenactment or it's cool because it's, it's a historical item, but this would be really useful for, sure. you know, looking for arrowheads in the, you know, on a windy day or something like that. And so, um, you know, I just, I love, like I say, I really sure. like wool and, and canvas and leather. I like all that stuff and... Uh, I will absolutely use my World War II stuff, whatever whatever chance I can get, you know. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Oh, you yeah, know, I use wool as often as I can outdoors, but uh, I don't use the German uh, stuff because it's not good enough, basically. <laughs> no, there's definitely better stuff. I'm not, I wouldn't, I, you know, and I, I know, Lassie, you know, I'm not making the claim that World War II stuff is the peak of technology in terms of <laughs> protecting a human being or keeping you warm or whatever. Sometimes the opposite. Or the, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's like so some of that stuff is useless. And, and certainly for people who are serious, like if I was going to climb Mount Everest or do some serious wilderness expedition, it's not likely that I would be using much in the way of vintage gear. Um, but for a day hike where I'm going to climb a mountain in mild temperatures or um, if I'm exploring the, the shore or along a riverbank, then absolutely, I think, uh, you know, this, this stuff certainly works, you know. I know, Chris, you've got quite an impressive collection of typewriters and uh, sewing machines, and I know you use these things practically, and it's cool to see and uh, that these things are still getting used they're a bit of a lost art you know that's a good point i mean i love typewriters in general and that's something that came out of world yeah. war ii reenacting for me yeah. i use typewriters almost every day and lately you know this thing with sewing machines learning how to sew um so that i could maintain my reenactment gear or apply insignia or whatever and it's it's definitely uh providing me paying dividends in my regular life where i can repair my jeans with this sure. sewing machine from 1917 sure um you know Although I still think you need to collect something that's larger and more impractical now. Well, um, yeah. I mean, grandfather clocks, water wheels. Now you're talking. Industrial looms. I was thinking about maybe um, trying to collect uh, mills, you know, the actual properties. <laughs> you know, it's something really big and costly to maintain. <laughs> that's good. Can't you just uh, buy uh, one of those warships that's around? Right, I should, I yeah, should. Yeah, collect yeah, some, warships. Some rusted thing. 
try to get it into the into my uh, spacious uh, house here. Have it in the front yard. Foundries, cauldrons, um... giant cauldrons. Yeah, now we're giant, talking. <laughs> giant casting molds. I saw there was a uh, an engine for sale recently from a U-boat. Really? It was wow. this gigantic wow. rusted metal like cube. <laughs> And I was like, man, I want that oh my thing. God. My mother, when she was younger, went to the Eagle's Nest in Germany. And apparently, to power it for a generator, they used a U-boat engine. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, no, they're big and effective and produce a lot of electricity. I mean, you could live inside a World War II bunker. You know, there's no end to the World War II stuff that yeah. you could theoretically use. Yeah, yeah. I've linked real estate uh, listings to you guys before where uh, they're selling a regular house that's built right on top of a German bunker. Now we're talking. Um, I love that stuff. They have that in Germany. They you can, uh, they have like Luftschutz bunkers, the air raid bunkers for the civilian population. You can buy them and they have, they're using them there for all kinds of purposes. Yeah, last year there, were, there was a house that was built on top of a... Uh, anti-tank gun uh, bunker for the uh, coastal defense it's not quite as cool as something built you know in europe but uh, i know in like coastal maine and new hampshire i think i saw a listing for a house which was converted from a, a coastal observation tower or bunker or something that's you know, really which cool is pretty awesome not gonna lie so yeah, there's no end to uh, World War II in uh, in the modern era. Yeah, you can drive a World <laughs> War II car to work every day. Yeah, <laughs> drive a tank to work. Now we're talking. Yeah, German tanks required so little maintenance. So, but um, I don't know. Just to cycle back, like even on a sort of micro level, um, something like like a butter dish. You know, it's uh, you know nobody would nobody would know what it was, um, but. Uh, it's it's a convenient thing for you know hiking or even just I have one in my fridge I use it for butter um, it's it's not bad. are you serious yeah no, it's like it like an auxiliary source of butter it's like I threw it in there after an event and if I run out of butter um, I have like an emergency supply <laughs> that's fine but you can't say the butter dish is a convenient piece of equipment to bring on modern hikes the thing leaks more than a bottle with a hole in it. What now? It yeah. Leaks. Oh, yeah, in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was thinking more in the cooler months. I can go into a, like a hiking store and buy an actual thing that I can use both summer and winter that won't leak my butter. Okay, you have a point. There are limits to this. <laughs> but uh, there are other small things like personal item type stuff like your pocket knife yeah. or your, like a fountain pen yeah. that you can use for World War II reenacting that you can also use in your regular life. The razor that I shave my face with is a World War II style razor so I can use sure. the razors. same razor at reenactments as at, uh, at home. You yeah, know, safe, stuff like that. Safety razors rule. Do we have any particularly funny stories about um, just like using World War II thing and then encountering a person and maybe something funny happens? Like, well, look, I used to use fountain pens at work all the time, mm. and uh, I thought it was cool. Uh, turns out that my boss wasn't really a big fan of uh, of the fountain pen writing. Uh, he finally one time complained to me. That he doesn't understand why, when I hand him a post-it note, it looks like a letter written by Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> that's really funny, dude. Oh, that's great. That's really funny. <laughs> uh... Yeah, because I think I handed it to him right after I wrote it, and he like touched it, and it smeared the ink. You know, it didn't dry right away like a like a ballpoint pen. Oh my god, that's really funny. Now, I enjoy writing with uh, fountain pens, but then the question, is that actually a piece of reenactment gear? Or is it just an old vintage stuff I bought and the excuse is that I can use it with my reenactment? Well, I got, I got started with fountain pens through reenacting and now I use them every day. I actually carry a fountain pen with me all the time. That's cool. You know, and the fountain pen that I carry with me is not a reenactment object. All right, Lasse, was there anything else that we missed on this weird topic? Yes, actually. Um, I do have a World War II or probably post-war, pre-war, I don't know, they'll look the same, uh, British uh, field canteen that I do use. 
You think it's more useful than the German one? Uh, yes, it holds more water, and you can put it on the ground, and it won't, like, flop over. You brought that to Svalbard, yes? Yes. That's cool, I remember that. That thing is cool. Yeah, I... It's something I use, um, for, like, hiking is, uh, a World War II-style Italian Alpini canteen. And, uh, I like it because it's just a simple strap, and so you can access it a lot easier than the German canteen. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not this weird clip and strap system. And, uh, it's got like a little sort of, uh, top with a nipple on it that you can take the cover off and just, uh, drink out of it pretty easily. And, uh, so I like that thing a lot. I like trying out different pieces of gear, even if they're not World War II German, um, and even if they're not for reenacting, I think it's just, I think it, I think it's cool. Um, I use a lot of, uh, you know, Russian stuff. Um, sometimes when I hike, I'll wear a waist belt with, like, a Russian canteen on it, which, uh, I like as a source of water. And I'm always open to different ideas on what people do. So, like, that British canteen, I think that's a really good idea. I might try to pick one of those up. So, thank you, Lhasa. Yeah, I like that it's very compact. Like, I would say it takes up less space than a German canteen, but it still holds more water. And it has a flat bottom, so you can put it on your table. I'm not dissing German equipment here, but the bayonet and the field bottle is, and the uh, butter dish is some of the most crap items that have ever been made. There are some uh, impracticalities to it, I'll admit. <laughs> they look good, though. The whole Yeah, it does look good. But, I mean, the whole German system, you kind of need a friend to help uh, to help dress you sometimes, you know, or just make sure that you aren't all screwed up, so... I feel like some other nationalities were a bit more maybe ergonomic. <laughs> ben, thank you for coming on again. It was good having you. Thank you both. It's it's my pleasure. Everyone out there, stay safe, stay stay healthy, get out there, do something awesome. Lassa, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. Before we go, you may want to check out Fela Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com that is german-ww2.com where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff and you can get 7% off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020 that is PODCAST2020 at checkout once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retro Man, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike.